Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. John Paulson, as we mentioned last week, is unfortunately away on vacation, but who better than to step in and pitch it for them than the individual we probably talk about as a requisite every single week, and that's none other than the Reception Perception CEO himself, Matt Harmon. Harmon, fresh off a wedding as well. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. As we were talking about backstage, it feels good to have um, the wedding in the rear view, not just because uh, I'm married to the woman of my dreams. I'm the luckiest man in the entire world, but also it's like a load off planning wise, you know, just don't even have to uh, think about it. Do you like Hayden Winks when he had his wedding told me that what he felt most afterwards was the relief that there was no more planning to take place. Do you feel that as well? Uh, dude, yes. Number one, uh, and my wife actually said this in her vows to me, it was like, planning a wedding is basically like my worst nightmare um, because I'm hyper-concerned at all times about like, uh, is everybody else here having a good time? I I'm, I'm stressed out about all these people, you know, spending money on hotel rooms, on on travel to get to me, that that gets in my head a little bit. I'm like, oh no, all these people are doing all this for me. That's way too much. Uh, so I'm a very uh, guilt ridden person. Basically, is like the long and short of it. So having all that stuff like in the rearview mirror is great. Uh, not having to think about who does this person need to sit with, and you know, what about the room block and all that. It's just like this giant. I, I think people that if you've never if you've never been married before if you never go through like planning a wedding there's just so much bs that goes into planning a wedding that um it seems it is is objectively pretty silly uh, and is not like the main and it's basically like the moment you do the ceremony the moment that you and and, and your person are up there it's like from then on it's just a giant like because from then, yeah, that then the fun begins and you get to do all that. But leading up to it, it is it is like a giant ball of stress, probably needlessly, uh, honestly. But it, yeah, it feels really good now that it's all over. Because my job is just to show up and take advantage of the open bar yeah. you paid for. But everyone, I also am a realist enough to look around and say, like, look at all these beautiful things, like the vases that are on the table. Like, you got to plan that all that shit out, too. Yes. Like, and, it's the, and it's by the little the way, things like that that I would stress over. And by the way, on the actual day, you never even see. Like, we spent hours and hours you know, I mean, obviously, I, my my wife was more involved in this than than I was. Her and the wedding planner going back and forth on like w the little table decorations. You know, the the type of plants that would be on everybody's place setter. You know, the the name cards and all this stuff. I it didn't even hit me until about two days after the wedding uh, wedding, and somebody texted me was like, "Wow, the place setting looked amazing," or something. I was like, I other than my own, never saw it. Didn't even look at it. So that's another thing too. When you're actually a guest of a wedding, I feel like you experience everything when it is your wedding, you probably experience like maybe 60% of the things that you actually plan, which whatever you're, you're planning a big party for everybody else. And uh, for the most part, everybody has an awesome time and then you, you're married and, and that's the biggest goal, right? So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange, uh, it's a strange thing to plan. It's a strange thing to, to go through with, but feels good to feels good to be married uh that was the goal and and that's what we did well you are not here to catch up on life unfortunately we could do that for hours especially since i no longer live in la so you and i don't get to sit down at the daily pint anymore and just have a couple beers together but 
before we begin, because you have been diving into reception perception and getting all the player profiles done post-wedding, I have a quick announcement for everyone listening. And that's because our good friend, Scott Fish, was kind enough to gift us here at 4 for 4 an entry into the Scott Fish Bowl, which, as we know, once July comes around, not only great in that it is terrific for charity and everything he's doing to help set up Toys for Tots, but also... You will have FOMO in July if you are not a part of this because everyone jumps in and tweets about it and yells about it, even though it is for charity. Again, people get actually upset at draft strategies in this massive tournament that spans across the globe. So to get this one entry fee we have, we are running it for seven days for everyone listening. And all you have to do is subscribe to the most accurate podcast on 404 and leave a review. And I will handpick the review in seven days' time. I will look. You have until next Thursday evening. Next Thursday evening, seven days. I will look. The best comment, the best review will get that entry fee. We will get your email and get you set up. So that is what we have. You have one week to get it done. Good luck to everyone. But again, you were not here to talk about that, Harmon. You were here for reception perception. And I actually want to start with someone who... I would gladly plant my flag in this year, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. And that's Michael Pittman because he did hoard volume last year with the 14 most targets in the league, 129 total. And what's great is that we not only saw him pop off in, in an island game against the Titans, I believe, on Thursday night football in his rookie year, but last year also he continued showing that ceiling for a sprint of time as the wide receiver seven in fantasy through week nine before Carson Wentz went full Wentz and just fell off the rails completely. So I am curious if you, after looking at Pittman's profile, is this an individual that you think really can hold on and hang on to those alpha traits and be a top 10 guy for an entire season moving forward? Yeah, Pittman was a guy that Reception Perception really liked coming out of his rookie year, had a 71% success rate versus man coverage. You know, that's once you for, for those who aren't familiar with RP and, and and might not understand, you know, kind of the, the detail of the metrics, when you clear that 70% mark, you're starting to get into a pretty good threshold of guys who really go on to find some sort of career success. You know, the higher you go, the more uh, the likelihood that you're going to hit several benchmarks, everything like that. But typically when you see guys, especially these big perimeter receivers, you know, guys that play the X receiver position, guys that play the flanker outside, you know, if they're over that 70% mark, that's a good place to be. Not a, not an absolute, you know, guarantee, but uh, that that's certainly a good threshold to hit. He hit that in his rookie year. Looked like a guy that I thought, again, could be that outside receiver who could win in the vertical game, but also could win on layup routes. Um, so he was a guy I was in on last year. It was a guy I was drafting, you know, in the ninth round. Uh, obviously, then like at certain points of the year, it was a little murky with the quarterback situation. Wentz, as always, gets hurt. You know, training camp. He has that. Was it? Was it a toe? Is a toe injury? I think it was him and Quentin Nelson both had the toe injury last year. So liked Pittman leading into last year, but. His second year in RP looks, inc I mean, incredible. I mean, not not only did he exceed that success rate versus man coverage number, 74.3% last year, also jumped up against zone coverage as well. And the really impressive thing here, Daigle, 96th percentile success rate versus press coverage. That's what you're really looking for in terms of like a star true number one receiver. I mean, these guys who get over that 80% mark in success rate versus press, we're talking about, you know, you go through the historical database on the website, you're talking about guys who are just the best of the best at playing the position. You know, and this is a player who's 6'4", 220 plus pounds. You know, he's not like a, a, a Steph Diggs type. He's not a Antonio Brown type, some of these other great separators uh, in the NFL. He He's doing this at that size. It really does remind me, like, 
Allen Robinson early in his career. Uh, Keenan Allen also, if you look at the way that Michael Pittman absolutely slammed people on slant routes, curl routes, dig routes, you know, that was just like, that's Keenan Allen's like bread and butter, you know, hammering those defenders on those routes over and over again. So those two are pretty good solid comps for him in RP. Obviously, you know, it's sort of like a blend of those two guys. Those are pretty different players in terms of Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, but great route runners, bigger receivers uh, who can win in the slot, who can win outside. I think that's kind of the player we're looking at for Michael Pittman. He he really is a, a guy that I'm I'm super excited on. I was bullish on him last year, but this year I think I'm even ready to say he can take another step as an individual player. And certainly I, I like the ecosystem he's in now better with Matt Ryan uh, than Carson Wentz. So to be clear, when you watch and grade these individuals, really what you're looking for to exceed thresholds is 70% man coverage, over 80%, against press coverage, anything else we need to know before moving on to a couple of these other veterans? Well, so I think it depends. This is one thing I actually hope to have an article out. Uh, after all of the guys are chartered for this year, I hope to have in, in July kind of looking for these certain thresholds and what we should really care about. You know, it depends on the type of player you are. Um, I, again, if you're over 80% versus press, you're kind of in that superstar territory. You're you're in like true legit number one. You could be a good player and be south of that. So let's, you know, let's not totally just throw that number out there. I think also too, it depends on where you line up. It depends on the role you play. Um, and I mentioned success rate versus zone two. That number actually correlates really well with a uh, high reception total. So um, think of a player, you know, like a Cooper Cup's a great example. He's always been one of the best zone beaters in reception perception and a guy that piles up those catch totals every single year. Obviously, last year goes completely nuclear. So it does sort of depend on where you line up, the number that you should put the most importance on. But again, if you are going to be like an outside receiver who's going to line up at the X position, you're going to line up as a flanker, which Pittman kind of split his time between those two positions last year, uh, moving around a little bit across the formation. You know, you want you wanted like a true starting number one type of receiver to be over that 70% mark against a man. Then when you start to get that high against press, then we're talking about a guy who who could be a true, like I said, a true legit alpha number one receiver in that Allen Robinson mold, in that Keenan Allen of old mold as well. Another situation I'm hoping you can clear up for me is the number one receiver who it may be in Pittsburgh between Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Because what we do know is Deontay Johnson led the Steelers in target share for three consecutive seasons to open his career, including last year's career high, 28.4% share. But also you can say, well, he and Claypool were top 10 in slant routes last year, and Johnson yeah. actually had the third most targets on slant routes because Roethlisberger got rid of the ball at the league's fastest time from snap to throw. Like they catered to Roethlisberger's dead arm. And now we are left questioning can Deontay Johnson do more than get open on slant routes? And can Chase Claypool do more than hopefully just get concerted targets to hit a floor every week? So what do you see in these two individuals? Do either of them, do both of them have alpha profiles across the board? Yeah, let's start with Deontay Johnson because I think Chase Claypool is kind of the more confounding one. Um, but with Deontay Johnson, I mean, I, I think – this idea that he is just a product, like certainly he got boosted up production wise because he just got a shit ton of volume. Right. I mean, but I think that volume is mostly earned because he's one of the best separators in the NFL. He's always open and not just on these slant routes. You know, you look at a success rate uh, route chart on reception perception. I mean, there's a lot of green there, even down the field as well. He's certainly somebody who can get open at all three levels of the field. 
He's got one of the he's led the NFL each of the last two years in success rate versus zone coverage, but is a 91st percentile separator versus uh, man coverage. Actually, was even better in 2021 as a separator against uh, 2020, excuse me, against man coverage. And he hiked his success rate versus press coverage up last year. I think he's a legit number one receiver. Like, I think he is on that like Calvin Ridley, Stefan Diggs axis of separators in terms of his ability to win. And this is not a guy, despite his size profile, that ever moves inside for the most part. Like fewer than 10% of his snaps came inside last year. He's actually out there winning as a true X receiver. I think he is, as an individual player, much more than the, I guess, the role he's been in so far or the targets uh, that he's gotten so far. I mean, because he's great on those slant routes, no doubt. I mean, he's one of the best separators there, but he, it, he does show the ability to win at all three levels. And I think I am definitely of the of the belief that targets are earned, like volume is earned. And it's not just like on an individual play to play basis. Like if they're designing all of these manufactured touches for you, if you're you know one of those type of players, they're doing that because they think you're good. Right, especially relative to your teammates, and you, despite the bouts of drops that, that that Johnson's had over his career, Roethlisberger continues to show the trust and the willingness to throw to him in a variety of situations. So, I think Johnson's a great player. I think he gets underrated because of some of these like noisy metrics, like yards per target or stuff like that. Because I think most of that's a factor of the player that Ben Roethlisberger is. So. I don't really have any questions about Johnson as a player. I think he's underrated as like a true route runner and a separator. I, how he's going to mesh with a new quarterback, I actually think is kind of exciting. I find myself on like the other spectrum there. You know, I do. I think that maybe the production won't look the same. I think that's possible again, just because Ben Roethlisberger had such a mind meld with him and they got the ball out so quick. Like maybe the catch total falls for Deontay Johnson, but I think he could make more big plays, could get more chances to win down the field and catch passes down the field. So I actually kind of find myself I, – I don't know how you feel, but I find myself a little bit more like excited about Deontay Johnson going forward than, than concerned. That's why I wanted to ask more of an open-ended question because it's a talent I believe he had, and I completely agree with you. What I've been saying is that he didn't just earn that those target shares. Like To come into the league as a rookie and lead your own team in target share for three consecutive seasons, earn those targets, that's already – something that strikes my brain. I'm like, okay, this kid has something. But genuinely, since we haven't seen him used or earned targets downfield, I, I wasn't sure. I really wasn't sure if he could do that. So I'm really happy to hear your profile on him saying that even though the the high floor may not be there, he has an untapped ceiling that we genuinely haven't seen yet because he's never played with a quarterback until this year that can get him the ball downfield. I'm curious also that your thoughts on Claypool, though, because what we have seen is that they will use him downfield. The issue was Rotsberger the past two years, 17 to 49 targets, 20 plus yards deep connecting to Claypool, just literally they weren't efficient targets. So he really couldn't get the ball downfield despite presumably what, what I saw separating. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, there was like no more hopeless play in the NFL in 2021 than than Ben Roethlisberger throwing go routes to Chase Claypool. It was just like, and I, I almost kind of like, I wonder, this is the sort of psychoanalysis that I don't love to do all the time, but I got to sometimes wonder, like, if you're Chase Claypool, just being like, geez, God, man, like, I got to keep doing this. Like, there's just, you know, this guy cannot hit me. There's no chance. Um, I, I think Claypool is a tougher projection because I think he was as an individual player really great as a rookie 
And I kind of think he was really bad last year. Like when you go back and look at his two profiles in reception perception, I talked about that 70% benchmark. He hit that as a rookie in success rate versus man coverage. Pretty good across the board, separating deep, short, and intermediate. Um, but you look at last year's route chart, much more constricted, did not win on those vertical patterns. Um, I just don't think he separated very well last year. I think he really struggled to get open. And the one problem that has been consistent through the past two years with Chase Claypool is he just is not a good contested catch player. Uh, I mean, he has been below average each of the last two years in contested catch rate and reception perception. He makes a lot of those, the mistakes that people dog Deontay Johnson for drops miscues in, in situations in high leverage moments, you know, Chase Claypool makes those just less often because he's getting the ball less. Uh, so I think Claypool is a confounding argument. Uh, I, I really don't know at this point where I'm going to fall on him this season. I think he's a great value in fantasy drafts because I think the talent is there, right? You know, because he's fallen so far and his rookie year was extremely promising. I kind of want to write off last year as just a blip, but I do think the disappointment from his season last year, I do not think is, you know, 100% Ben Roethlisberger's fault, 90% Ben Roethlisberger's fault. I think Claypool's got to wear almost 50 50 you know in terms of sharing the blame for his disappointing season last year I do not think he played well as an individual and I think Pittsburgh you know kind of drafting George Pickens drafting Calvin Austin I think is a signal to you know they're they're looking at potentially the future of this wide receiver room and, and does that involve Chase Claypool I guess we'll see I am encouraged though Diggle I'm encouraged about like the idea of him moving around and potentially playing more slot receiver because I think he is so quick and can separate on those slant routes, flat routes, stuff like that, he could really be, I think, actually a big fit, a really good fit as a big slot receiver. So what you're saying is basically he's much more volatile than we think since it is like he's still piecing together his own career, right? Like I he's still so, learning yeah. the position. And even remember a couple years ago when he came out from the draft, he was compared to a tight end. Like they literally thought they were going to move his 6'4", 240 frame to tight end, and they weren't sure if he could play the position. So it just sounds like you also think like he's still learning, but obviously puts it all together with that athleticism. Even to run a 4 440 at his size, like that could be special. He just has to learn. Yeah, I think he's still developing, right? Like, because even his rookie year, you know, he was a guy who like 53% of his routes were either a slant or a nine. And it was still pretty similar last year in terms of the split in terms of his routes that he ran. Um, not routes that he was targeted on, like actual the routes he ran every single, you know, route that I charted, everything like that. So I think he's still developing, you know, he's... DK Metcalf started off in a similar way, right? You know, he was lining up on one side of the field, really only running slant routes and nine routes. I actually compared there to uh, rookie years in Claypool's initial reception perception evaluation last offseason. So I think the but DK continued to take that step every single year. We've seen Claypool kind of stall out this year, not really take the next step. Um, but this upcoming season, maybe he does finally get back on track. And I think, you know, potentially moving around the formation, getting him some more looks away from press coverage on the outside, maybe that does uh, help him a little bit. Like you mentioned, I think He's not a t he's obviously not a tight end, but he could he be used in like those tight endish type of ways. You know the way that the Rams use Cooper Cup is very akin to like a tight end sometimes. You know uh, uh, in the in the slot lined up tight to the line of scrimmage. I think we could see some of that with Chase Claypool, and I actually think that might be good for his long term uh, value. Also, to have twenty four career carries. I would be very interested to see a lot of concerted touches for him, giving him yeah. a higher floor for us for fantasy. Another player, though, that disappointed last year was Allen Robinson. But now 
landing a three-year, $46 million co- contract to play with the best quarterback of his entire career and what I assume will be a role in sliding in just for Odell Beckham, who did have seven end zone targets and five touchdowns in that role last season from the sec- from in the second half of the season with the Rams. And my guess is, before you tell me what you saw in his profile, is that he and Chicago basically mentally parted ways before the year. Like that was the second consecutive offseason where they couldn't get any movement whatsoever between a long-term extension. And I think Robinson was just already tired of it and had checked out before the year. But I'm curious what you saw in his profile. Yeah, I think that uh, there might be some of that. I mean, for sure, especially if you're a guy like Allen Robinson who's played with all these bad quarterbacks over the year. You know, it had been a really good soldier for the Bears too. You know, he he took a chance on going to the Bears after Mitchell Trubisky's rookie year instead of going to, you know, potentially taking sl- slightly less or similar money to go to Green Bay or something like that because he liked the Bears. He wanted to play for the Bears. Uh, and then, you know, to kind of have them nickel and dime him on the contract, you know, franchise tag him, not extend him, I think that definitely – there was a lot of – there was definitely some bad blood there for sure. Um, the thing that's interesting about Allen Robinson and his perception perception, you know, it, it was – Good last year, not as good as years past, especially in success rate versus man press coverage. Still a guy who got separation, shows good technique, um, but clearly was also not 100% through the la- all last year. You know, had injuries crop up. Um, that, that was a problem. Success rate versus zone coverage really fell off a cliff too, so certainly not his best year. Uh, I, I think really where you see if there's any sort of – he kind of mentally checked out a little bit was like in contested situations. You know, this is a guy who – had previously put himself on the line consistently to go up and win 50-50 balls. His contested catch rate's not what you're not what we're used to from last year. You know, certainly much lower than that. Um, the thing though that is is tough when you're looking at the Bears is everything was such a nightmare. Everything was such a mess. It's really hard to like parse out what what went wrong for Allen Robinson because you know this is a guy who has been a vertical threat in years past and finally is paired with a vertical passer in Justin Fields. And they've got him running like 30% slant routes, almost, you know, a bunch of slants, a bunch of like little hitch routes, stuff like that. Even Darnell Mooney too, a guy who has a ton of speed. You look at his route chart on reception perception in terms of the routes that he runs, not a lot of work downfield. It's just like, and in Justin Fields, you watch him, he's a big game hunter. Like he's looking for that deep pass first. So I think there was just never any good chemistry between Fields and Robinson. And just in terms of the entire offense, too, it was just a nightmare year. But I think we can certainly give him a pass for what happened last year because this is a player who, again, is is not as if he fell off the cliff in terms of success rate versus man coverage. He's still up there over like 72%, 73%, but not quite up to like number five in the league. That's where he was at uh, in 2020 you know, fifth best success rate versus man coverage and pretty much up there as well in 2019. Those two years with the Bears were legitimately awesome from an individual standpoint. Not as much last year, but I mean, going to the Rams now, you mentioned it, like obviously it's the best quarterback he's ever played with. It's easily the best ecosystem he's ever played in too. I mean, the Bears, I mean, the Rams also have a great pro scouting staff, you know, like they consistently nail these veteran wide receiver evaluations. You know, they nailed the Robert Woods evaluation. They nailed um, bringing Brandon Cooks in was like the perfect finishing touch for what they needed in that 2018 offense. And obviously they bring in Odell last year and he eventually becomes the, that X receiver that they really needed there. I think they look at Robinson as a guy. I really trust the Rams evaluation as, as looking at Robinson as that guy who can be that X receiver for them. 
Another receiver that was concertedly targeted and then brought in was Marquise Brown to the Cardinals. And I'm curious because we do know what he does best in getting open downfield. And Mark Andrews did have five more targets, 20-plus yards downfield, than Brown last year. But Brown also spiked four touchdowns on those targets from Lamar Jackson. And remember, it would have been six had he had had those two bombs dropped against the Lions. And so is this a, a... a fit you think will mesh well between what Kyler Murray does best and even last year completing a league high 49% of his throws downfield and what Marquise Brown brings to the table in Arizona. Yeah. Marquise Brown's a funny player. Cause I, I think he gets, obviously he gets a lot of crap for dropping passes. You know, uh, DFS players hate him for that game against the lions. I totally right. get it. There's a lot of, even though, even though it was the next game, remember he went over hundred with a touchdown, including yeah. one big target because drops, we can't, we can't, I know they're frustrating, but we can't predict them. Yeah, exactly right. It, it and it's frustrating too when you got to watch it. You know, on red zone they show it over and over again. You yeah, know, you, and it's just you're watching all your fantasy points go through the, the hands. It is. It's a negativity bias thing, is what is what it really is. It's a piece I wrote way back in the day on my website, Backyard Banter. Uh, but anyways, I think when you look at Marquise Brown, he's a fine player. Like I don't think he's a bad receiver. Now he's never been a good receiver against press coverage. You know, he's around that like 20th percentile against press coverage. He's, he's not, and that makes sense, right? With the way his frame is, you know, he's a smaller guy, but I think he has really found a home as a player that moves around the line of scrimmage. And he's been one of the top performers, you know, over 80% in success rate versus zone coverage in each of his first three years. And last year ran 68% of his routes in the game sampled for reception perception against zone coverage. And that's actually something I can see continuing in Arizona because teams, we we know this, they don't want to play a lot of man coverage against mobile quarterbacks because they don't want to have their defenders turn their backs towards their mobile quarterback, like a Lamar Jackson, like a Kyler Murray, because you can just get shredded in that way. So and, and you look at Marquise Brown, too, great success rate on post routes, corner routes, uh, nine routes, you know, a deep route runner. He can certainly get open. And I just think he's a natural replacement and potential upgrade for what the Cardinals had in Christian Kirk. You know, and I think Kirk obviously gets a lot of crap for his contract, but, you know, Kirk's not a bad big play slot receiver, but Marquise Brown could potentially be the souped up version of that. The initial trade was weird, right? I, I think it kind of took a lot of us by surprise because we it wasn't out there in the media, it wasn't reported. But um, the more I've looked at it, the more I look at his you know success rate for zone coverage, the way he gets open on vertical patterns, I do actually really like the fit of Marquise Brown with Kyler Murray in Arizona the more that I look at it. Well, it also was weird because it happened probably – one minute before the Eagles then traded a first-round pick for A.J. Brown instead. Yeah, yeah. And yes, the Cardinals didn't give the contract that the Eagles did to Brown, so there is a difference there. But Brown, who's only due, I believe, $4.5 this year, uh, like that contract is coming. And it's I assume coming, yeah. if, if the Cardinals want to keep Kyler Murray, like this is part of the package and keeping his former Oklahoma teammate. But But I agree with you, like, the the ceiling that Brown has we also shown forget us. we also forget too that like they did send a third round pick with Marquise Brown too like they got a pick I know I, like everybody's like oh they traded Marquise Brown for a first round pick it's like well they got they did get a draft pick back so it's like they kind of traded a second round pick I guess if you want to look at it but it was still either way it was a it, it was a wild trade no doubt and, and 
I agree with your upgrade note because Christian Kirk has never, he's been a good player, but throughout his career has never finished inside the top 32 wide receivers for fantasy points per game. Whereas Brown has literally won weeks for us in the past. So I do think he's just a different level. He's the rich man's Christian Kirk. So that's why I think it fits perfectly. Moving down though, in the range, because Rashad Bateman and Darnell Mooney are getting drafted around Marquise Brown. And it varies depending on which site you're at. What we know, though, is that Bateman and Mooney are now the X's in their offense, and they will see targets. We are expecting both to lead their team in targets. What I'm curious, though, and we can start with Bateman here, is I don't know either's profile, right? Like, I don't know if they can be the guy who wins on every single route. Bateman was a flash in the pan last year. He showed us moments of a ceiling, but also injured, so we really never got to see him piece it all together. Also, played behind Sammy Watkins for a majority of the second half whenever he returned from injury. So what did you see in Bateman's profile? And is it something that shows us he can be a 130 target guy and alpha of Baltimore's offense? I love Rashad Bateman. Uh, RP was big on him coming into the NFL. uh, And last year as a rookie, you know, you mentioned it. It was frustrating because there's no question when you watch him play, like he's winning in that X receiver role. You know, he's winning on in-breaking routes, you know, slants, curls, digs. Um, and we know Lamar Jackson is really good at passing over the middle of the field, but also winning on those deep out routes, you know, winning uh, again, again, on those dig routes deeper down the field. So he's more than just kind of a layup receiver. He's a very, very different guy than Marquise Brown, right? Obviously from a physical standpoint, but just the way he runs his routes, he's smoother. He separates against man coverage, 72.7% success rate versus man coverage. Like I mentioned with Michael Pittman earlier on in the podcast, that's a benchmark. We want these outside X receivers to hit. Bateman hits that in his rookie year, solid against press coverage as well. Really good zone beater, 83.1%. Him and Marquise Brown, similar success rate versus zone coverage numbers last year, but because of the role that, Bateman plays he's going to run against more tight physical coverage on the outside I absolutely think he can win there he is to me I think he's the most obvious breakout player in the entire uh, NFL and I know obviously there's there's questions about his his role because Baltimore is not going to throw the ball around a lot we know that but you also have to remember too this goes back to the Marquise Brown trade the Ravens while the the Marquise Brown trade might have caught us all by surprise on draft night, the Ravens were not thrown off by this. You know, this is apparently a trade that Marquise Brown requested at the end of the season. He's been kind of wanting to get out for a long time. The Ravens agonized over trading him, but they do eventually trade him. And there's no, like nobody else to replace Marquise Brown's vacated volume other than Rashad Bateman. They make no moves in a major wide receiver market where there was a lot of moves to be made. They've, they might sign somebody like Will Fuller or, or Julio Jones or something, but I don't think any of those guys are going to come in and, and eat into Rashad Bateman's target share. I think he truly has alpha receiver potential, number one receiver potential in an offense that is just dying, has been dying for a player like this for years. They've certainly never had anybody with uh, Rashad Bateman's skill set in the Lamar Jackson era. And even before that, really, they've not had a young, promising player who can separate at all three levels and really win as that outside X receiver with the reliability that Rashad Bateman can. So what his thresholds showed you, you believe he can actually be an upgrade on Marquise Brown. Yes. Maybe not have as much of a strength in one particular area like Brown did, but he can win in everything like Brown could not. 
Correct. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing with the biggest difference between Rashad Bateman and, and Marquise Brown is, you know, they could, and, and the Ravens got better at this at certain times. I think when you look at Marquise Brown's second season, they really had him run a lot of like vertical routes against press coverage. The more they moved him around, the more they kind of designed and manufactured layup targets for him. You know, he was a pretty decent producer in the second half of 2020 in terms of fantasy. Um, but I don't think Bateman needs those manufactured layup touches, you know, awesome success rate on slant routes, you know, curl routes, like I mentioned, 92.9% success rate on curl routes. Like that's a player that the, that Lamar Jackson's not played with to this point. You know, the guy that can consistently win on those base routes that just manufacture offense, especially where he fits so well as a middle of the field passer. I just think this is a great uh, pairing. I compared, uh, uh, I compared Keenan Allen, Justin Jefferson, those type of guys to Rashad Bateman, coming into the NFL, I think that's the type of player that he is. On Mooney as well, similar thing in that I expect him to lead team at target, uh, team high 27% target share last year, also an increased 8.8 .8 targets per game and his five starts without Allen Robinson, which will obviously be in that situation all year. Is this a player you think also, according to your profiles, can and has shown us he can win at every single route across the field for the Bears? Yeah, I don't think he's got quite the same upside as a player like Rashad Bateman or or um, you know Michael Pittman, those type of receivers. Uh, but I do, I think in like in an ideal best case scenario, right? I think like Darnell Mooney would be a really solid number two and an awesome number three receiver. But certainly, I think is like a starting level receiver in the NFL and got better from year one to year two in reception perception. The frustrating thing for Darnell Mooney um, is that, like I mentioned earlier you look at his route percentage chart, the routes that he ran above a league average rate, flats, slants, curls, like, give me a break, bro. Like Darnell Mooney's a fast player. He can rip it downfield. Like let that guy go hunt in the deep intermediate sections of the field. There's not a lot of that in his usage from last season. I think there's more that he can do to make big plays. Um, and again, I mentioned an ideal scenario for Darnell Mooney. He's a, he's a number two the Bears are not in an ideal situation right now from an offensive standpoint. So I think he is going to get that volume. Do I think he is like a future number one receiver based on his thresholds and reception perception? No, probably not. But he's certainly going to have to function as that for the Bears this year. And I think he's a pretty good player. We are going to dive into rookies. But before that, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app, use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4, word, the number again, and presto. We are in rookie fever season, and it's because no one has seen these rookies play it down yet. So everyone just assumes they have a Jamar Chase ceiling, and that's why their ADPs get nuked all to hell, and you can't grab these guys if you're trying to draft intelligently. But, Harmon, I come to you and ask right off the bat, who do you believe among this entire class of wide receivers will have the easiest transition into the NFL? Yeah, give me Chris Olave in terms of the most pro-ready receiver. Uh, number one in success rate versus man in press coverage last year. Uh, he was a guy who certainly could win across the route tree. I think he is 
I, I know that it was a common comparison, but his reception perception is very similar to a guy like Calvin Ridley coming into the NFL. Um, so I think he's a player who should make that easy transition to at least being a starting level receiver early in his career. And man, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in New Orleans. I know they signed Jarvis Landry as a post-draft ad, but you know, we'll see what happens with Michael Thomas. Uh, I do think Chris Olave, too, is not just like a layup guy he can be a vertical route runner as well that's going to be a fun fit with Jameis Winston so I've been saying he's the uh I think he's the number two receiver in the class right like I think it was him him right up there towards the top after Drake London for me um I've got him ranked that way in dynasty going forward uh, I really like Chris Olave's game I don't actually see the ceiling limitations on him as an individual pure player that some some other people do that's actually great you say that because my concern has been his 4-6-40 and the fact he didn't break tackle, so I was worried he couldn't separate immediately. Like he had to either bulk up or learn how to play uh, through contact in the NFL. So the fact you're telling us that there's a reason why in Ohio State for three consecutive seasons he led the team in touchdowns despite <laughs> playing around Garrett freaking Wilson for his entire career, Jameson Williams, if you go back to 2019, even Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, mm-hmm. who's going to be a top prospect in this next year's class. So, like, yeah, you're saying that actually Olave's ready right now. Yeah, I think he's ready right now. I that's think awesome. that's why the, that's why the Saints wanted to go get him, too, because it's clear they're, you know, the most, like, win-now team in the NFL forever, uh, you know, even if maybe they shouldn't be. Uh, I think that's why they really liked him as a player. <laughs> a player, as I mentioned, nuked ADPs, that is being infatuated over right now is Sky Moore, who has an 86 ADP on underdog, wide receiver 41 at his position. And I'm admittedly concerned. I'm concerned because he's a small school wideout from Western Michigan in the MAC conference. I'm concerned that he's been playing wide receiver for only three years since that wasn't his natural position in high school. And I'm concerned because there are, for or whatever we think of them, proven veterans on this team that could be roadblocks in the event that Moore actually needs like on-field opportunity to develop after being at that small school for his entire career. So what did your rookie profile say on Sky Moore? Yeah, I mean, RP loves Sky Moore. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he's he's one of the best separators in this class. Now, you know, I get this question a lot like with rookies coming into the NFL in, in reception perception, and I think it's worth talking about you know the level of competition part of it obviously the guys that sky moore is playing against different level of competition than like a jameson williams or a chris olave or garrett wilson or even drake london is playing against but and that's why i don't want to sit here and say like look drake london lower success rate versus man coverage and sky moore sky moore is better than drake london i i wouldn't say that that's that's ridiculous but i think while it's not that useful to compare player to player, I think it can be useful to analyze a specific guy in his specific situation. And what we see from reception perception with Sky Moore is he was awesome at his level of competition. He's a really good prospect, really good player, can separate across the route tree. And as a guy I think can win, you know, as an outside receiver potentially, but certainly could be a slot receiver in time for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think he obviously he's a prospect that a lot of people like. He's a good player, and he's in a really good landing spot with the with the Kansas City Chiefs and all the opportunity there. You know, that said, I totally hear your points. Like that's that ADP for Sky Moore could look ridiculous in less than three months, right? Because if we don't get training camp reports that he's running with the starters, like that that could be a tough look. And and I I think that these guys that are on the Chiefs, you know, MVS, Juju, you know, even McCole Hardman, like these are probably all role players. Um, even Juju, who's had great statistics in his years past, like he's certainly pigeonholed as a slot only player and not a guy who wins down the field. So Sky Moore, I think, has the 
best theoretical ceiling out of all of those guys, but I think the playing time concerns are legit. Like I, I would want to see a lot more from that than projected. Like how many targets can you realistically project for Sky Moore, even in in a best case scenario? I, I don't know. I th- he's a very risky selection at that ADP, and that's with me saying that I freaking love the player and I would be aggressive to get him in a dynasty rookie draft. But for redraft this year, I, I want to see like a little more. I am glad to hear the separation part because it's more like an open-ended question for me. I don't know. That's why I have you on the show to ask these things <laughs> because while I'm just doing the opposite of draft rooms right now, like I do, when he pops up sometimes, he dips a round or two. It's like, okay, I'll take Sky Moore here. Like I still think it maybe it's too high, but also that's okay because I want to like Sky Moore. Yeah, yeah. I, look, if Sky Moore was an 11th, 12th round pick, like slam it, you know, because right. even then at that point, Obviously, in best ball formats, you know, you're going to hopefully have him lean into that role later on in the year. You're going to get those points then. But even in like a traditional redraft league, like you're going to have your answer on Sky Moore for the early part of the season pretty quickly. Like if you and if you burn a 12th round pick, nobody cares. Right. So um, I want to like I would love to take him in that range. Um, I'm really I don't know about you. Do you find like you're do you find yourself leaning towards any Kansas City Chiefs receiver at this point? I think MBS is a good deal and best ball. Uh, redraft, it seems like a situation where we will never get the start-sit decision right. But in best ball, again, we don't have to worry about that. So I, I think his spike weeks are going to be great, and he's still falling beyond Sky Moore. Uh, Nicole Hardman's pretty much not even part of the equation right now in best ball. He goes like in rounds 15-16. So I do find myself actually taking MBS as my wide receiver 7 or 8 often. Yeah, I think that makes sense in best ball. For redraft leagues, I, I don't know that I'm going to be – leaning towards any single one of these guys very hard. Another rookie who has had his ADP steamed is Christian Watson. Right now, ADP 109, wide receiver 52 overall, and it has dipped his ADP since OTAs began, since we are getting some drop notes from reporters right now. And remember, this is what Christian Watson did quite often. Uh, He had a poor contested catch rate, which you're about to tell me uh, about his rookie profile, but poor contested catch rate in North Dakota State. Also had quite a few drops, but also Christian Watson. This is my concern for OTAs and training camp with Watson. Like a guy at 6'4", 200 pounds with elite athleticism like him, he doesn't show up to camp and like beat reporters say negative things. Like when you see him, he looks like an NFL receiver, which is always my concern with profiles and again, small school receivers. So what does his route running and where he's had success tell you and your reception perception work? Yeah. So uh, Christian Watson didn't get like the full reception perception treatment. I had a piece on the website, uh, basically called it the rookie roundup, like mini samples uh, because college film is just a lot harder to come by than NFL film. We, we know that like NFL films readily available um, college, especially is more... North Dakota state college film. It's not exactly. Yeah. Ample. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, there's a lot of backdoor dealings going on that type of stuff. But anyways, beyond that, like, so I, I would say that like, I'm not super confident in what we've seen from Christian Watson, just because, um he's very raw as a route runner there's no question about that um I mean dude he's got an aggressive ADP his quarterback hasn't even acknowledged that he exists yet you know and like Aaron Rodgers goes through the list of I'm really excited to get I mean Alan Lazard's not even in camp right now right like he's still waiting to sign his tender he's he's talking he's I'm right can't wait till Alan gets back you know we still got Randall I like what I see out of Sammy Watkins so far and it's like you know maybe then 10th player he acknowledges like oh yeah we did draft that one rookie that one time so i don't know man i i I would i would be i'm out on christian watson uh for this year and we'll see going forward i think he's a developmental player that's sort of what 
the mini sample on reception perception. Uh, again, I mentioned the rookie roundup. That's that's where you're going to find that if you go to the site. Very raw route runner that I think is not really ready to contribute right away. And as we know, not only him not performing well so far in OTAs, but also Amari Rogers is the one getting the mandatory best shape of his life reviews at camp. Every team has one. Amari Rodgers is that guy for the Packers this year. Yeah. Uh, another individual I'm curious on, and maybe you just did slight work on him from your mini profiles, is Alec Pierce. And that's because the opportunity is there without T.Y. Hilton now across from Michael Pittman. Uh, Paris Campbell has only made really eight full starts in his three seasons in the entire league, so we can't necessarily depend on him. Thus, there's this wide receiver two spot wide open that we assume Alec Pierce will be available in. But I don't know if because of his route running, because what he did best in college is the reason why only five of his 30 career games, he went over 100 yards. So I'm hoping you can tell me like what he did best. Yeah, um, I like Alec Pierce. He actually did get a full uh, profile on receptionperception.com, so you, you can see that there. Um, this is an interesting player comparison. I, I mentioned DK Metcalf earlier. I actually think like Alec Pierce is the bad DK Metcalf com like analysis coming into the NFL. Like He can only run deep routes. He can only run post slants and go routes. I kind of think that's all Alec Pierce can do right now. Maybe he becomes more than that, but when you look at his reception perception route chart, Great success rate on the nine route. Great success rate on the post route. Great success rate on the slant route. Pretty solid on the flat route. That's it. Like, so he can just, he's a vertical guy, I think can win. And that's the interesting thing about Michael Pittman too. We think of him as like a big play outside receiver. Um, but that's because Carson Wentz will, you know, throw the shit out of the deep ball and like, just let him go get it. Pierce, I think is more of a natural burner down the field, even though he's a bigger player as well. Um, he can win on those slant routes for sure. Uh, I think he's a really nice compliment in an ideal scenario to a guy like Michael Pittman. So um, I would keep some, and he's got a decent success rate versus man coverage overall. But like I said, mostly vertical patterns like the slant or I mean the, like the post route and the nine route, but can win some layup routes as well. So I think Pittman uh, and Pierce could end up being a nice tandem in time. And Pierce did have a career 17-yard depth to target at Cincinnati. So, like, that, yeah, even, even the stats say this is what he does. Like, he literally runs deep, and you launch him the ball and hope for the best. So, uh, pretty much everything we're told. And finally, I want to end on what I still think is the most confusing player in the entire draft. And it may be just because how he was used, Traylon Burks, at Arkansas, because 68% of his catches came within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, even though he's 6'2", 225, and runs a 4'6", at that size, and only played 39 total snaps against press coverage last year. So really wasn't even used as an X receiver, despite averaging 3.9 yards per route run. So like the stats say everything's great, but I'm curious what the film and the profile told you. Yeah, he's a, he's a tough evaluation, uh, Traylon yeah. Burks. Like you mentioned, that role—he's not—he's not not really playing wide receiver on a lot of snaps when you watch him in college. Uh, he he does beat zone coverage. I think he's got a pretty decent feel, you know, on slant routes, curl routes, stuff like that, of when to sit down. Like I think he would be actually, and every everybody who loves Traylon Burks hates this comparison because everybody has soured on Juju so fast. But I actually think like. I think he, he kind of compares like to a Juju Smith style player, like a, you know, a guy that could be a big slot receiver who wins after the catch and is pretty tough and physical. I think that's kind of who Traylon Burks is, but I don't know, man. I mean, the success rate versus press is bad. The success rate versus man is bad. I think he is a really, really like 
green as hell route runner. Um, similar to like Kadarius Tony coming in last year, not quite as bad, like in terms of uh, Kadarius Tony, like where I, I thought he was starting at like square one in terms of route running Traylon Burks, not that bad. Um, but I do think there's a long way to go before he can like replace AJ Brown. Um, I think Robert Woods is like a screaming value in fantasy right now, if he's healthy, because I think he's, I wouldn't pencil trail on Burks to lead this team in targets. I wouldn't pencil trail on Burks to lead this team in, in, in receiving. I, I think that Robert Woods, you know, a guy that could just be ready to rock. If he's ready to rock from day one, Robert Woods, if he's, if he was covered from this ACL, I think he would be a really good fit to lead this team as the top receiver this year. And then Burks maybe can take over in 2023. I just, nothing you watch Traylon Burks play in, in Arkansas. There's just a huge projection from the role that he had there and the flashes he shows against press coverage. And I know like his yards per route run against press coverage is high or something like that, but like go see some of those snaps. Like he, he is wins in tight coverage and then, streaks down the field after a couple guys fall over like and you can boost your a couple big plays can boost your limited sample size in terms of that metric so I don't know man I I definitely have a lot of questions about Burks I like the player long term if he fits in the right role but they've sort of made this um this bet with like the Vikings they they trade stuff on digs they draft Justin Jefferson they're good to go but what if the what if the freaking Eagles had just taken Justin Jefferson and then the Vikings were left with Jalen Rager. We'd be looking at that trade differently. Um, what if Traylon Burks is not ready to rock from day one for a team that maybe still fancies themselves as a playoff contender? You know, then they've traded one of the best receivers in football to me and AJ Brown for a guy who's not ready to play this role right away. And I, I, I do not think that Traylon Burks is ready to play this role right away. Another way to look at it, this has nothing to do with reception and perception, but another way to look at it is in the last two drafts, Howie Roseman basically turned a top 10 pick and, uh, yeah, a top 10 pick and Carson Wentz into AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, Jordan Davis, the most athletic tight end and, uh, athletic defensive tackle in combine history and, and an extra first round pick in 2023 and second round pick in 2024. That's what he got for that. Those couple of things he tried to trade. So yeah, overall, I would say they're definitely winning. And that is why you were here to tell us all about that. So Harmon, all this information you spat out over this episode, tell everyone where they can go read it for themselves. Yeah, you can find all this at receptionperception.com. On Monday this past week, we just put up, uh, I say we, uh, I, I put it on, <laughs> I, I was the one who put it on the site. I did all the charting, uh, put up the analysis on guys that are like going into the third or fourth year in the NFL. You know, AJ Brown, you just mentioned Terry McLaurin, some of these other players. We talked about Michael Pittman. Um, those guys are the newest addition to the website. And then July 1st, like the rest of the big name players across the league, like Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill, Stefan Diggs, and more top level stars, Mike Williams, Chris Godwin, guys who signed new deals this offseason, uh, they will all be up there as well. So a lot of stuff still to come, and there's a ton of content up there for people. They can read the profiles, the sortable tables, and the dynasty rankings. There's a lot of stuff that you can get there. Harmon, it is always a pleasure. Remember, everyone, one quick last pump. Subscribe to the Most Accurate Podcast and review seven days to do so to enter the Scott Fishbowl with all of us, Harmon included, who will be in there. So thanks again to Harmon. Thanks for everyone tuning in. Until next time, we will see you on Monday.